Welcome to episode 293 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Over the last two episodes, I've been walking you through the steps in my Wake Up Your Network workbook so you can get support from your network before trying to sell a new product or service. Now you have your list, you know how many referral partners, likely prospects, and coffee chats you have waiting for you. Now, the fun really begins. It's time to talk to these folks. Today, you'll do two things. One, set up a way for folks to easily schedule time with you. No more back and forth emails. Two, reach out to two potential coffee chat connections to schedule a time to meet. This way, you'll know you have systems set up to schedule research calls and you'll ease into talking to folks about your new venture. Let's begin. One, open up that Wake Up Your Network workbook and read step seven. Then check out the automated calendars document, which is part of the Big Results Toolkit you downloaded for more information on the different options available to set up an easy to use scheduling link. And then look at the network spreadsheet and pick two coffee chat folks and send them a message. See, (laughs) that wasn't so hard. Once you've had a couple of these under your belt, check out step eight of the Wake Up Your Network workbook and start thinking about those research calls you'll make. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest saw a need and filled it. He found no automation tool, CRM, or analytics software that was built with management and sales leadership in mind. He understood people needed the type of tool that provided an exponential return for the time invested and that makes managers powerful by driving individual performance and raising the level of the entire team. So he and his partner built it. He is a managing director of Closed Loop and has consulted with some of the world's leading companies, including Salesforce, Box, and SurveyMonkey. He's an award-winning trainer and co-author of seven books. He thrives on sales frameworks that create fast growth and measurable progress. He's also a co-founder of his new software company, Coach CRM. Please join me in welcoming Hillman Sari. Robbie, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I have to correct you. It's eight books. Oh my gosh, eight books now. <laughs> Not that it matters at, at that point. <laughs> at some point, it's like of lots of books. We will we'll put all the lots links in the show notes uh, at ontheschmooze.com. So... Thank you for joining us. You're actually in Italy, which is not your usual home base of San Francisco. I'm so glad we were able to make this work. Uh, so tell Thank me, you, you know, I, I, this is a show about building strong networks. And of course, um, the context here is leadership. Uh, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Oh, God. Uh, well, t- taking the last one first, I'd say you, you kind of have to realize it every day. If you if you've kind of, if you believe that you've gotten to a point where you're resting on your laurels and you're like, I am a leader, I think you got another thing coming. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that by definition, I would say that a leader influences and inspires others to action. I think that's, that's, that's what comes to mind. I don't like the term where leadership kind of correlates to having to have followers because followers seem so drone-like and as though, you know, you're just kind of, I'm imagining, you know, two arms in front of you and like the walking dead, the zombie thing happening. I think that that leaders 
really influence and inspire others into action, whether that's in business, whether that's in an organization, whether that's politically, whether that's even inside of one's family. I think that you can apply that. To, to answer the question of where and when did I kind of identify that I may exhibit those traits in certain situations, I think that I'm just really a control freak. <laughs> I think my wife would probably nod, head, nod her head and attest to that. And many of my friends would say the same thing. But I'm, I'm what I would like to call a benevolent control freak in that I like to take the reins. I'm the person who in a heartbeat, you don't have to ask twice. It's like, hey, we got to go do this thing. I'm like, okay, I'll plan it. Okay, I'll take us there. Or I'll make this thing happen. I had, I think one of the, the most praise or one of the most impactful pieces of praise that I've heard from one of my friends, lifelong friends, he said, you know what? You made childhood so much fun because no matter what, you always had a plan. We were either in the park playing flashlight tag or we were going on some adventure across the bridge or we all got the bikes together and we were running around with like CV radios. You know, it was like Lord of the Flies type thing. Um, so I guess that's kind of where, where, where it all began, for lack of a better explanation. I'm really glad you brought us all the way back to your childhood. And before I comment more on that, I'd love this like very simple and dis, uh, concise definition, influences and inspires others into action, which is, I, I mean, I've been doing this show a long time, but to me, that is a great summation of what a good leader does. And I love that you, again, really brought us back to those early days on the playground, running around on the bridge, riding bikes everywhere in the middle of the night. Um, you know, I, I get it. Like having the initiative, um, to move, move an idea forward. Um, you know, others are like, I, I actually, I've, I don't like camping, uh, but I have gone camping many times because I like organizing. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. yes. so I ended up like organizing, you know, like three campsites and like planned activities and planned meals together and, booking this space and tracking who's carpooling with who. Like, I don't know. Like, I like that part more than I like actually sleeping in a tent. <laughs> so I kind of get it. Um, what? I agree completely. And, and in turn, creating a great experience for other people, right? Yes, exactly. Like, I feel like that's the part that brings me joy is what was possible because we were all kind of on the same um, coordinated wavelength. So I'm curious, like, did you, did you run for any formal office role? Um, you know, were you, you know, class president or anything like that? Or did, did teachers see this potential in you and ask you to take on extra things? How did, how did others sort of relate to you? Oh my God, you're really taking me back. So uh, yes, uh, student council, president, a couple of years, vice president, one year where I, I, I made a misstep is what I say. That was the, the decline of my uh, celebrity in, in school. Um, I also started a company. This was my, my very first company. I've always had a bit towards entrepreneurship. And the very first company I started, I want to say I was about 11 years old. It was called Kidco. And the tagline was all jobs from A to Z. And if you've ever seen an Amazon box where it's got that A to Z and a little smile, I actually designed business cards that had that little smile. And it's well before Amazon came up with theirs. And so I think Bezos owes me some money. But uh, I'll fight that battle another time. At any rate, Kidco was a company where uh, I basically went out as an agent and sold the services of my friends. So if I had a friend, Jennifer, who loved to babysit, I would go out and I'd find her babysitting gigs. If I had a friend, Henry, who was very good at uh, mowing lawns, I'd go out and find him lawn mowing gigs. I guess in this day and age, it would be called an agent, right? So <laughs> I had flyers in pamphlet neighborhoods. I'd have people call, call, call around my 
parents got me my own line in, in the house, the house phones, if anyone remembers what those were. Uh, and um, I had this business. It had a, a, a very sad ending. And I'll try to keep this story kind of short, but I grew up in Chicago. And so, so summer, you've got great opportunities for mowing lawns and babysitting. Winter, you've got great opportunities for shoveling snow and other things that you can do. Fall, it's kind of tough because the grass hasn't grown. All the leaves haven't fallen yet. And most people are kind of beginning to nest because it's starting to get cold. So they're not going out so much. So my business partner, Henry Miller, and I um, were down in my basement kind of trying to hatch, you know, what's the next product that we're going to sell? What are we going to do? And I came up with this idea. I said, well, you know, Halloween's coming. Why don't we sell Halloween insurance to the neighborhood? And so my definition of Halloween insurance was that we would go door to door and we would say, hey, you know, Mr. Samuels, we will clean your house if it gets TP'd, egged, or shaving creamed on on, uh, uh, Halloween night. And so, you know, Mr. Samuels would say, okay, that sounds great. And give us 20 bucks to do this kind of thing, right? Well, the houses that didn't pay, our plan was we'd go back and we would egg shaving cream and toilet paper so that they'd pay next year. Well, my father got wind of this plan and explained to us. And keep in mind, I grew up in Chicago, right? So, you know, there's a little mob action happening in Chicago. There must be something in the water. But uh, uh, my, my father helped me to understand that that was called extortion had me go back around the neighborhood and explain to all of my neighbors what my evil little plan was. And so went Kidco and we were no longer oh in business. Oh my gosh. But, you know, but I've been organizing people, just tea groups of people um, a long time, goes, goes way back. I'm, I'm kind of uh, in awe of how you became this agent and had this um, incredible like lineup <laughs> of, of possible people to, to help. I, I had lots of businesses as a kid. I mean, I didn't think of his businesses like you did. Like, I, I mean, I had sold bagel sandwiches to my friends. <laughs> I mean, I, I did all that. Oh, and you're awesome. also, you're making me think. Uh, so Kidco was a movie that came out in 1984. I don't know if you have seen this movie, but it's about a little kid who makes big money um, and, and creates an empire um, and challenges the status quo. And so I think if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> oh, my God. I had no idea. So this would have been in 1984. I would have been 14. So I was doing this in 1981, but this is crazy. Yeah. I have to look that up. That's yeah. great. I just, <laughs> cause I was like Kidco that's so, and of course there's now a brand that's called Kidco out there in the world, but this is predates the brand. Um, really funny. So when you, when you were 12 and 13, you were doing all this stuff, but did you know what you wanted to be? I'm going to say like when you grew up, like, did you have a sense of what was coming next in life and maybe what you were going to go to school for or what kind of business you wanted to be in? Yeah, I had not what kind of business I wanted to be in. I had, I had two very clear objectives. One was I, I saw my father every day, get up, go to work, put on a suit and really nice shoes and grab his briefcase and off the door he'd go. And sometimes he'd fly around and, you know, bring me something back from some other place that he had visited. And as young as the age of about five or six, I emptied out. Have you ever you ever played backgammon, Robbie? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you know how it comes in like that leather case yeah. that looks like a little briefcase for a six-year-old? Well, that's exactly what I made it. I emptied out all of the chips. I still don't know how to play backgammon. I emptied out all of the, the, the tokens or whatever they're called. Amazing. And I shoved the legal pad in there. And I would Amazing. walk around from room to room in our house and I would have quote unquote meetings. So I was clear and certain that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Then sometime around... Uh, yeah, I guess around 12, my parallel career was that I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. All I wanted to be was a marine biologist or an oceanographer. 
And then sometime late in high school, I started taking science classes and realized Hillman is not a scientist. <laughs> so I went back to entrepreneurship. <laughs> That's Still love amazing. To swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sometimes hobbies should stay hobbies. I agreed. Very much so. Scuba, scuba is a great uh, avocation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it doesn't require all the science. Uh, right. So did you go to school? Did you end up going to college and, and pursuing a business degree of some kind or entrepreneurship so degree? I went, I went to college. Here's the interesting thing. I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I, I have to say that through most of my life, I've had some sort of a company, varying degrees of success, luckily incrementally more success, more successful. But even when I've had jobs, I've had some, they, they now call it a side hustle, right? <laughs> Which was my real focus. I have the job just to pay the rent or to pay the bills or whatever it might be. And my collegiate, my, my storied career, I'm imagining my father like listening to this and dying laughing at somebody asking me if I went to college. I went to so many colleges, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> and I got so bored. Couple reasons why. My learning modality is very different than being in a lecture hall and and reading books and doing homework in that way. I have real trouble with that. It's not it's not a disability. It's just a different type of learning that that I prefer, which is a little more hands on and involved. Um, but I studied psychology and I never graduated. I went to probably eight different colleges and never graduated and, and got the degree. But um, certainly studied enough books and curricula that, you know, I've, I've developed a knowledge base. And what I used to do is I would go and identify what are the top universities in a, you know, Bachelor of Psychology program or in an organizational psychology program, program. what books are they uh, studying and what papers have been published. And I would go get them on my own and consume them. And I've also always, you know, in the spirit of, of your world of networking and mentorship and, and developing, uh, developing that support system, I've always been very good at identifying and fortunately finding folks who would opt into supporting me, whether it's uh, academically, whether it's just, you know, informally in, in, in providing me education, providing me opportunities, whatever it might be. I've never been shy about asking. And I've found myself very fortunate, almost like Forrest Gump, just in the right place, right time, um, to really get some great mentorship from folks that have really imbued me with a lot of education. I'm just trying to imagine in the 90s, which is the time you were in and out of college, um, yeah. you creating a, a sort of self-paced um, learning program. <laughs> yeah. um, because today, of course, there's a lot of those options. There's courses, there's webinars, there's, I mean, you can go to LinkedIn Learning, you can go to YouTube. Um, yeah. There's so, there's so many options out there to create your own curriculum, but that wasn't the case. You had to really be showing such initiative to find out what books people were reading and you know, what, what were the major papers in, in this topic that you were so interested in. I'm curious, is, psychology is about people. I mean, I have a master's in social work because I also think about how groups of people operate together. Do you feel like you are applying the, the sort of general learnings of psychology into the work you're doing today? Constantly and intentionally. Um, I, I'll say that, just backing up for a second, because I, I, I love that you called out how challenging it might have been in the 90s. So it's challenging in hindsight, right? It's challenging when I'm sitting here staring at Google and an iPhone and an iPad, and you know I've got the resources of the world at my fingertips. Um, necessity was the mother of invention. And I also am fortunate in that both of my parents were educators. My mother was a, a school teacher and my father 
was a director um, and a professor at Kellogg's Graduate School. So I have been around universities, been around libraries. And I always said, and it's a shame, you actually just made me think of this. I always said, this is pre-internet, that when I like get my billions, that I would follow the path of an Andrew Carnegie, which is to create places where people any from any walk of life could have access to the information of the world. Of course, that now exists through, you know, myriad, myriad ways to get that. But having the foresight and the fortune to be able to create 90% of the libraries in the United States, I think was really impactful and was the only way I was able to pull that off in there slipping through microfiche and I'd memorized the Dewey Decimal System. I mean, I was a library genius. I would skip school to go to the library. That's a different story. Um, your, your, your latter question with respect to the degree to which I apply uh, the principles and things that I've learned in the concept of psychology into my daily work, it's I, I do what I do because I did not get the degrees in psychology, the postgraduate degrees in psychology. All I ever wanted to do was to create organizations that communicate effectively, that sponsor one another from the standpoint of being collaborative and being um, uh, high performance and that actually can influence behavior, right? And so what is sales? That's exactly what it is, right? It's, 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 it's the same thing without the three letters after the name. There's, there are very few. I'm friends with a lot of the professors who are, who are great. We're doing great work out there now in creating sales disciplines and programs in universities that are accredited. But it's been kind of seen as this like art. And I'm doing that thing with my hands where it's just kind of like juggling balls in the air. Like it's, oh, it's art. Yeah. Hillman's really you know, funny and charming. Oh, you're a great sales guy right? No, there's actually a whole lot more to it for the people who make this a profession and who make this a practice where we clearly know the words that we're using, the way that we're interacting with people, the things that influence behavior, um, how to go about leveraging these types of things to good, not, not in manipulation, but to help folks to solve real problems. And that's what fascinates me about this space of sales and what fascinates me even about, you know, Coach CRM, which you alluded to in the introduction as my new software company, is this idea of this human-to-human -human relationship for the better of both. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, the idea that you've always been who you are. <laughs> I mean, like, that's what's yeah. popping in my head. Philman, listening to you, I'm like, wow, you know, it's not surprising what you've been able to accomplish later in life, given um, the way you approach a challenge, the way you're self-motivated to learn. Um, the way you galvanize people to take action in, I mean, other settings, right? Like galvanizing them to make, help them make money. And then today, like building teams and thinking about what they need to really shine. It, in some way, it feels a little bit inevitable that you were going to end up doing, um, doing this work. Um, but I, I have a feeling that it didn't feel inevitable <laughs> along the way. And that in retrospect, it might look like it all makes sense. But there must have been a point when you realized like you were kind of going all in um, what was the challenge as you were trying to really like put both feet into entrepreneurship and let go of some of these safety nets that you'd created around, you know, having a paycheck and, um, you know, it wasn't your passion, but it was, it was nice to have a paycheck, you know, and insurance and all, all that. But what, when did you realize that that was getting, like, I had a mentor say, you'll know it's time to get rid of your job when it gets in the way of your business. So like, when did that moment happen for you? And, and how did you, how did you really proceed from there? That's powerful. Um, you know, it's time to get rid of your job when it gets in the way of your business. So I, I made huge leaps and risks. I was not the person with like one foot in and one foot out and kind of just hedging bets until it would happen. 
I would just throw it all on the table and go, look, this is what I want to be doing and I'm going to go do it. And I would fail. And then I would go get a job. It was more like that. You know, and then I would be like, what's my next thing? And I'd move into that direction. But the question that you asked inspires me to say that the challenge for me was that I had misconstrued my perception of success, which was, you know, financial attainment, some level of name recognition, some level of, you know, I guess that's associated with fame and impact and things like that as being the, the outcomes that I was seeking instead of clearly understanding that the outcomes would come from the passion and the application of the thing that I feel is my calling. So that took me a while of exploration and even some companies that I had started that were just like, it was just like, how do I make a buck? How do I get to like that level that I think I should be at? And obviously I had some, some personal insecurities when I was much younger around the fact that like other friends had gone to colleges and were doing these things. And they, they were from my perception, maybe further along in their careers than where I had wanted to be in my path of entrepreneurship. And so it's like, well, I'm just going to go get this job that pays a lot of money. or I'm going to go do this thing that is going to make me a lot of money, but left me feeling empty or just wasn't you know, you got to a point where just like ethically, I was like this, I, I just don't even feel like I, I, I have a mind for this anymore. Like I'm doing any good for anybody. And so that conflict existed between what I had envisioned as success and what I had envisioned as where I wanted to be in my life um, with the chips stacked up versus what am I trying to, what drives me, what drives energy for me? What impact am I trying to make in the world? And when I got my mind around the fact that it's the impact, stupid, right? <laughs> like then, and I know so many people have said this, even as these words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, someone's listening going, oh God, here he goes with that thing again, where it's like, follow your passion, the money will follow. It's the truth. There's a reason why people say this. Imagine that, right? It's because it's actually true. And even if the money, I'm using air quotes there, even if the money doesn't follow, the compensation and the reward follows. And that can make the others less consequential, right? And that took me a while, probably almost like late 30s to get to a point where I realized, gosh, this alignment that you, you see so clearly, Robbie, of like, you've always been who you were. I don't know that someone would have said that about me in my 30s, early 30s. They might've been like, gosh, this guy seems a little inauthentic. He's, he's really kind of like hungry. He's, you know, he's, 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 he's out there, he's doing things, but I'm not sure that he's like, standing on firm ground and really saw like, there's just a lot that wasn't happening. And, you know, that ties to other things that happen in one's life. And, and, you know, we can get into that if you'd like to, but I think that sometime at some point it kicked in what I just call like this pure authenticity where I got really comfortable in my own skin. I got really, really strong validation from the people that I work with both closely as colleagues, as well as the folks who I attempt to impact that uh, was validation that I am making a difference. And that just, creates energy and fuel and drive and passion and, you know, further seeking and curiosity that has gotten me to at least where I am today. And, and I hope to, you know, continue that path going forward. I, I really appreciate you sharing that challenge. And I, I haven't heard someone share it in quite that way. And I do think that um, particularly if you've had entrepreneurship as a, as a sort of life goal all along, and you didn't follow the traditional career path that lays out for you what the metrics of, of success are, um, that you then know to like aim to achieve them. And when you have to create your own forward momentum and like your own milestones to celebrate, it, and it can be really hard because you might be aiming for the wrong reasons <laughs> for like those milestones and then it backfires. And, and I think about how 
VCs, uh, venture capitalists really say that they invest in the, in the entrepreneur, not in the project. And if right. you didn't come across in the genuine way, uh, I can see how like it's harder to get people to like buy in to your idea because the way you're selling it is doesn't feel right. And today that's like that's the shift that's changed is that more people are willing to take the risk with you to figure out whether the, whether this project is worthwhile because they believe in you. That's absolutely right. I agree completely. Yeah. I was also um I mean there's uh there's so much about I don't know like listening to yourself. I feel like there's, you know, <laughs> I I'm thinking about how um like uh, the, uh, the I watched the movie Harvey uh, Milk's movie Milk. I don't know if you ever seen this, but there's a scene where Harvey Milk, who of course like uh, such a well-known figure in LGBT history, um, you know his role in San Francisco politics in the late seventies, you know really ushering forward LGBT rights, and then he is forty years old, laying in bed um, and saying, uh, "I've done nothing. I'm nobody." And you know, of course, we all know how the story is. Like he ends up doing so much, but. Here he is, forty, lamenting how he he's not made a difference in the world. No one cares about who he is. He's like a nothing in the world. And I I remember being um maybe late thirties when I went and saw the movie, and I was like, oh oh, stop beating yourself up. Right, like, what you've done at this point, like every you, like every decade is built on what you've done the previous decades, and so. Um, I don't know, like that awareness that just because you're not the 30 into 30 doesn't mean anything. Like I was so bummed. I didn't get picked for 40 into 40. And it was like, I felt so affronted because I felt like I was doing <laughs> such good work. <laughs> you know, I remember that moment that when the clock ticked past and I was like no longer eligible. I was like, well, now if I do good in the world, no one's going to care. It's like, of course you've done good. You're, you're like, you're old now. Right. You know, and, and I always say like someone, someone said something to me uh, just today. I was like, all right, you, you, you're, you're getting old. I'm like, well, there's only one other option, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. The, I, I think there is a certain piece of um, the the realization of your mortality, the older you get, which has you really thinking about your impact. You know, I, I drive my wife nuts. We've been we've taken a lot of trips to Italy, but uh, this summer we're spending in Milan and, and we're going a bunch of different places uh, in Italy. And we were most recently in Pompeii this weekend. And I just, I, I marvel. I say to her all the time and I'm laughing because she appreciates it in the same way. And she's Persian. She comes from a culture that's, you know, many thousands of years old. You know, it's different in the United States when like our oldest building is like maybe 1642. I don't know. But um, the, I was, I just like touched in, only in the areas where I'm allowed to. Don't get me wrong. I'm not violating any exhibits here. I'm not causing the great erosion of Pompeii. But um, I, I touched the bricks and I'm like, you know, someone built this, you know, so some individual collective put these bricks together in this way, or this archway was made, or this pathway was made, or this fresco or whatever it is. And I marvel at the ingenuity of humankind and at the same moment, I'm like, so what's my legacy? You know, what, 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 what am I leaving behind? What is the impact? And I think about this more and more now. You know, I think about this on a eh, at least weekly basis, I'll say, which is like, what's the epitaph going to read? You know, and, and that is not in a not in a gap way. I'm not thinking about it where, where, where there's a lack of something and, oh, I need to like get on the gerbil wheel and do more. Instead, it's more of a crafting way. It's like if you've got this clay in front of you, and you can mold it any way you want to, and you know it's fresh and it's, it's got optionality and it's strong and it can do these certain things. 
it, but you've got to get your hands in it. Like that's how I look at it. It's like, so today, where am I putting my hands where I can mold something that actually is going to have a lasting impact? And you know what? With that as a guidepost, it really does defend, it, it actually frees you up a little bit because some of the frivolous things, I just go, yeah, I, I just don't want any part of that. Like, oh, I'm not going to get bothered in that conversation. That's going in a direction that's just not fruitful for anything that I want to have in my life. Or this, 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 this shiny object that's happening over here, whatever it might be, ah, smoke and mirrors, that's going to be nothing in about a month and a half. So I'm not going to channel my energy in that direction. So it kind of creates some clarity. And that clarity is, is something rather new to me, but it's, it's created a certain lightness and I think a certain ability to be even more impactful. And really quickly, last thought here is I think about this, and, and I hope this isn't an arrogant assumption, but I think about these people who, you know, like a Steve Jobs who like transformed multiple different industries, right? With innovation and ingenuity. You can't do that clouded by like the daily minutia. There has to be some way in which you are attaching yourself to the great tradition of humankind before us in some way. And I don't think that it's arrogant to do so. I think that's kind of the point. I think that whatever that means for somebody, whether it's through art, whether that's through reading, whether it's through business, whether it's through music, I could go down the list, whatever your discipline is, if you, if you investigate that and investigate those that came before you with respect to their contribution to it, I think you can slide into that river in a way that the, the, the perpetual motion of others can move you as well, if that makes sense. I love the idea of how you can frame this so that it's freeing for you as opposed to the constraints of expectation um, that often we we embody for ourselves that are placed on us by others externally, but then we internalize. And instead you're like, there's possibility in front of me. So how am I going to best shape that possibility um, to create the outcome that I want to be known for and I, and then not worry about the stuff that doesn't fit as part of that, which is a nice way to sidestep a lot of the like chaos and minutia of the world, including like, I've reached a point where I no longer fight online. <laughs> like, yeah, I, bother, right? I, I, there was like a fight going on in an association I'm a part of, and I just wrote to the staff and said, you know, I'm a leader in this community and I'd like to be able to defend the actions of the association and I can't. Can we have a meeting? Um, can, can our community have a meeting? And we ended up, I hosted a town hall, you know, and, and it really made progress. It helped, it helped move the conversation forward. And I think a me of 10 years ago would have just been happy to like trade, you know, barbs and facts and <laughs> links and <laughs> fact check and back and forth and back and forth. And was like, eh, you know, I was like, ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put energy but into Robbie, that. Robbie, that's, influencing and inspiring others to action. That's called leadership, <laughs> right? It's right. just that simple. And it takes place all day. You, you have opportunities to do this all day, every day. It is not this huge mountain of attainment where you have to stand up there and, you know, with one hand in your, 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 your chest pocket and the other hand <laughs> raised and I am leading. You know what I mean? You can tell I'm in, in Italy, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it happens every day. We all have opportunities for leadership and, and it's fluid, right? Being a leader doesn't mean you're always a leader. You know, there are different circumstances where sometimes leadership requires being quiet and actually supporting somebody else, you know, like, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the, in the time that we have left, I want to shift gears a tiny bit because you have had a really interesting, um, I don't know, entrepreneurial path and 
met a lot of different people along the way in many different industries and done a lot of different things. So I'm curious, like when you think about that bigger network and you have, of course, your closest contacts, you know, you're going to see, but what about those second and third layers out or second and third tiers out? How do you nurture into seeing connections to those folks in a way that helps you stay top of mind and stay um, aware of what's going on and like any habits, philosophies, or practices that you kind of think about with regards to networking? So first and foremost, I actually care. Um, <laughs> and I say this because there was a time, I remember when I first moved to the Bay Area, um, literally 25 years ago, and I went to these networking functions. They had all these little networking groups. And um, you'd go and someone would go, Hey, um, I'm Hillman Sorry. Nice to meet you, Robbie. What's a good What's a good introduction for you? And it was just so transactional and so smarmy. And it's I don't think the people were bad. The process was bad. The 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 venue was bad. The event was bad. You know, there was so much bad associated with it. Um, and it was just very transactional. And you could tell when those people reached out, they didn't really care. They were just kind of doing the thing. They're networking. You know, what I mean. <laughs> and so I think that it, what's important is I truly care. I truly care. And I, I have truly learned from this conversation with Robbie and I'm going to remember Robbie and I'm actually going to be somewhat intentional about it. I'm going to ping him sometime later, maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years about something. I'm going to follow the things that you do. And I think I, I like being that person who gives just one little bit of, of, I call it like a little wink in someone's day. I'll give you an example. I've been struggling with this issue in Italy with AT. Oh gosh, I shouldn't say the company. I guess now we know who it is. Okay. Anyway, I've been struggling with this issue with my phone carrier while I've been in Italy. And uh, the, the challenge was with some internet stuff and somebody tried to work on it last week. I was literally on the phone for like an, and I was an hour and a half on tech support being transferred three times and literally disconnected three times. And today, after giving it some space and me just taking a breath, I'm like, okay, I'm going to endeavor to do this one more time. I call, I get the rock star person who resolves the issue in literally five minutes flat. And wow. so I said, you know what? Can you escalate me to your manager? And she's like, sure, you know, thank you so much. She escalates me. He gets on the phone. I'm sure he has calls all day long. The escalation to manager is like, your people are terrible. You suck. Fix the thing. I'm leaving. Blah, blah, blah. I said, I just have to tell you, and I hope that this puts a smile on your face, that this person, Rosalie, who I just spoke to, was phenomenal. She listened well. She was pleasant. She heard what I was trying to do. She was thoughtful about it. She went away for 30 seconds and she fixed a problem that is an, an hour and a half in the, in the process with somebody else. And I am so grateful. I just wanted you to know that. And I hope that that changes your day a little bit. Like little things, and this is somebody I don't know, right? But we can do these things. We can do this with people who are second degree, third degree, people who are randos on the street, the person who's on the corner who, who you know, sells us bread every weekend. It's just thinking, how can I do something really small right now, but in this moment could really make a difference for somebody else, I think is a real privilege as a human being walking this earth. And so I think that if you're intentional about those things, it's easy. Now, if you're talking about how do you catalyze a network for business that's two degrees of separation away, um, I'm always seeking to give. I, I, it took a long while for me to learn this in my twenties. I was like, what can I get? How can I get ahead? Who can introduce me to this, that, and the other. And I said earlier that I've had mentors who have been very impactful in my life and some very powerful mentors, uh, especially back in Chicago who said, you know what? You have talents that you don't even know could be helping someone else. If you really want to move forward, 
in your career and you really want to have an impact, go help other people and the rest will come. And I adhered, I, I, I listened to that advice and I adhered to it and it very quickly began to show up in my life. And there's an interesting thing about the mutual gratification of helping someone else and then realizing that something else comes from somewhere who knows where that actually lends you a hand in some capacity and not having to orchestrate it or be in control that uh, I, I find very fulfilling in my life. I'm so glad you brought up your mentors because it sounds like that shift in mindset that you had um, was a big shift for you and has led to so many great uh, outcomes. Um, and also really just appreciate what you're sharing here around, um, the, you know, you still call them little winks. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that that it's true. You know, I'm much more likely, I don't write reviews on a regular basis. I'm not a complaining person, but whenever I've had an exceptional experience, like after my wedding, I wrote reviews for everybody I worked with. You know, if I, if I'm planning trips and like, I've got good service, like, I feel like there are moments in my life where I'm like really, really trying hard to make sure I'm recognizing people. I say thank you to the volunteers when I'm at conferences, you know, but I love this idea like you can just do this in your daily life. And then that carries over because then when you're doing that with people that you do know, um, that's that's investing in them. And I think that's a Zig Ziglar. um, uh, I'm, I'm giving credit to the wrong person. I apologize. But like Zig Ziglar had the whole thing about, you know, Give, helping other people. It's like basically, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's basically that's that's how you get ahead. And I I think that you need people who've already gotten that message and embodied that to tell you. And I'm curious how you found those early mentors when you were, you know, maybe not presenting yourself in the best possible light. Like how did you find mentors who were taking you seriously and, and wanted to invest in who you could become? So I was fortunate in that I grew up in an area um, that was a pretty affluent area in Chicago. Um, I, I was imbued with kind of this, I guess I won't sugarcoat it, this, this, a certain kind of like expectation that I could go have whatever conversation I wanted to have. You know what I mean? Like I, I'd seen it happen. So I was not intimidated by anyone, you know, there's, I actually, I called, um, I, I can't think of her name now. Who is, who is the woman who's now been like reviled by Theranos from, from Theranos? Um, uh, I can't think of her name. Anyway, at the time that she was at her peak and was on the cover of like these magazines, I was doing a training for one of my clients. It was cold calling training. And I said, you know, if you expect to get through, you'll get through, but it's gotta be an authentic expectation. They're like, well, demonstrate this. Look, give me a cell phone. Tell me who to call. And they told me to call her office and I literally got through in about a minute and a half and she answered the phone. I had nothing to say to her. And so she was, she was not on trial yet. She hadn't done anything wrong. Yet. And I wish I could think of her name, but the, the black, uh, the black sweater person um, from Theranos CEO. But anyway. Oh, I know who you're talking about. They just did a whole, um, yes, yes. I know who you're talking about. They did yeah, a whole I video. I don't know why her name's not coming to me. It's killing yes, me. Yes, it's a um, documentary about her. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, at any rate, so there is, that's just to say, and does that work all the time? No, Elizabeth Holmes. There we go. Um, does it work all the time? No, absolutely not. But the question is, how did I get to these mentors? Well, here's the thing. I could get in the door just about anywhere. And oftentimes I was sitting across from this person who now realizes, oh, this guy's all hat, no cattle. You know what I mean? This kid's got a lot of moxie, but he's got no substance. And fortunately, these folks in much the same way that actually it's very funny. I just, I've done this with somebody fairly recently who approached me in the same way. And I reflected to them like, look, you know, I, I completely appreciate your motivation 
and your will and your ingenuity. And I have to tell you that it's very superficial what you're asking me here and the way you're going about it. However, I respect what you're attempting to do. And I'd love to work with you on how you can do this in a more authentic way and yada, yada, yada. And I just realized in this conversation just now, Robbie, that I just recently had the conversation that was had with me when I was younger. And so then what happens? They introduce you to other people. You do right by them, right? You, you, you follow nobody, the highest praise, you know, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, so is taking somebody's advice. You know what I mean? When someone sees that you've done what they've suggested that you do implicitly, and you're the person who studied, you know, more psychology than I have, implicitly, there's a certain kind of affinity that they have for you, right? And because of that, they're willing to give you more advice and make more introductions. And so these things just kind of piggyback for me. And I've always been as, as candid as I've been in this conversation. And I think that level of vulnerability um, can be refreshing for folks where they feel like they're getting the real deal and a straight shooter and, and they're willing to be candid and vulnerable as well. Yeah. I, the, um, the piece about, um, you know, being willing to, to pick up the phone and reach out to people. Um, I have interviewed some, some really young millennials on this show who have made such a name for themselves in their late teens and early twenties because of that sort of like initial um, chutzpah or, or um, yeah. bravado. Like and then turn. some people like see the potential of that and help them shape, uh, you know, like do it, do it maybe with, with uh, better impact or better intention. Um, but, but I think a lot of people have the reason that stands out is because so many people don't do it, like won't pick up the phone and do, or and it doesn't have to be a phone. It could be like a LinkedIn connection request, you know, in today's sure. world, but you just, they hold back. And like, I think you have it drilled into you that not to hold back. And then um, I love that you just saw the closed loop of how you're now the mentor who's doing the same thing um, yeah. as the mentee. That's, that's beautiful. Um, I love all of this. You have been incredibly, um, open in this conversation. And I want to ask you our, my favorite closing question, which is, um, you know, I can't wait to stay in touch with you. Like I, I've been on your show, you've been on mine. Like, I feel like this is a real great connection. Let's say it's a year from now. And I suddenly realized, oh, wow, Hillman, it's been a year since I interviewed you. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating for you a year from now. What are we going to be toasting? Okay. Let's say a year from now, I would say that Oh, that's an interesting question. We'll be toasting that COVID has been eradicated. How about that? Um, and then, <laughs> if I could put that out there, I would say we'd be celebrating that um, Coach CRM has reached the $10 million mark. That's the thing that's on my mind right now. I know that's a little departure from some of the things that we've been talking about, but uh, we're really excited about the software and the impact that it can have on you know, human performance and on um, manager level interactions with their team. And uh, I, we're pouring a lot into that, a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of thought and a lot of um, you know, resources into that. And I, I, would, I would love to see that and what that dollar figure means is not profitability and, and dollars in, in Hillman's pocket. What that means is that it's taken hold and that folks are actually having an opportunity to be supported at work, to um, be impactful, to have, you know, kind of some clarity around the objectives that they have and some clear professional development that doesn't have to be always formalized and that that will correlate to companies having success and then people being successful there and greater retention and more jobs for folks and all of that reciprocal impact. That's, that's what I'd like to see. 
Wow. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. It sounds amazing. Um, I love that you gave a little nod to eradicating COVID because that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I have like to think the of the greater good first. <laughs> yeah. It's the backdrop of everything we're doing these days. It's almost hard to look, yeah. a, look a year ahead. It's like a further horizon than we've had the luxury of, of using. So how That's can people find you and follow your work? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Great place to follow me. I publish content almost daily. Um, I'm Hillman Sorry on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll you'll put that in the show notes. Um, my two companies that I think uh, you you might be interested in are Closed Loop. Uh, you can drop that in the show notes well show notes as well. And um, Coach CRM. Those are two great places to follow me. Fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes at onashmooze.com. Hillman, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Robbie, it's been great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hillman. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes and on the schmooze. Look for episode 293. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Now, do you need help figuring out what to write to invite someone to schedule a research call? Or are you wondering what to say during the call? I can help with that. Sign up for the Wake Up Your Network pop-up mastermind waiting list at robbysamuels.com forward slash pop-up app. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash P-O-P-U-P-A-P-P. This is a two-hour small group session where you can get answers to all the questions that you have, leave inspired and ready to schedule research calls. I suggest that you also read the Analyze the Problem Language Workbook, another one of the resources in the Big Results Toolkit. This workbook will help you figure out what problems your likely prospects would be willing to pay to solve. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Now, thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.